0: and on the first and third wednesday evenings at six thirty p m in yesterday's message we began to look at the issue of divine inspiration of the holy scriptures second timothy chapter three verse sixteen says that all scripture is given by inspiration of god That is, every word and every verse and every chapter in the Bible is inspired by God. It's as if God himself is speaking to us. And Peter also tells us in 2 Peter chapter 1 and verse 20 that no prophecy of the scripture is of any private interpretation. This principle has a twofold meaning. First of all, it tells us that we have no right to interpret a scripture any way we want to, just according to our own opinions or whims. But secondly, it also means that no scripture should ever be taken out of context. We're told elsewhere that we're to rightly divide the Word of God. I've often heard it said that a text taken out of context is just a pretext, usually for some kind of error. At the point where we had to stop the message yesterday, we were just about to start looking at some examples of verses that are often taken out of context to prove something that they were never intended to prove. We pick up at that point today looking at Revelation chapter 3 and verse 20 and also at Romans chapter 8 and verse 28. I hope you'll join us for the conclusion of this message on the divine inspiration of the Holy Scriptures. But first, we have a song selection that I hope you enjoy. After the song, please stay tuned for another message of God's sovereign grace from the Zion Primitive Baptist Church pulpit. The
1: thief to die.
0: And so, when we start looking at verses that are taken out of context often and used to support what I believe to be an error in teaching, we go to places like Revelation chapter 3 and verse 20. Revelation chapter 3 and verse 20. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man open unto me, I will come in and sup with him and he with me. I've heard that so many times used to talk about eternal salvation and, and somehow used to be in the context of the, the Holy Spirit or Jesus knocking on the door of the heart of the sinner. But just as an example, let's go there and let's look at it just for a minute. In Revelation chapter 3 and verse 20, remember what we said, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. This is, this is a, a, if any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come into him and will sup with him and he with me. If you take that out of the scripture, then you could apply it to most anything. And it's often applied, as I said, to the heart's door. But I want you to notice the context in which it is written. You back up to verse 14 and we read that this is a letter under the angel or the preacher, the pastor of the church of the Laodiceans. And we find here in Laodicea that there's some problems in Laodicea in this church. It's a church that wasn't cold or hot. It was lukewarm. It's a church that had problems. In fact, if you back all the way up to the beginning of chapter 2 of Revelation, you're going to see that this is the seventh letter to the seventh church. There are seven different churches that are, that are uh, addressed here by the Lord Jesus Christ. All of them, with the exception possibly of one, had problems in the church, either problems that arose from within or problems that arose by persecutions from without. But here in Laodicea, it's the one that's in the worst shape of all. Because it says... They're lukewarm. They're not cold and they're not hot. You know, I've often wondered, why does he say, I'd rather you be cold or hot? <laughs> you know, we want to be hot, right? We want to be on fire. We want to be experiencing the, 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 a stirred up spirit for the Lord. But why would we want to, we want to be cold? <laughs> well, I believe the reason for that is, is that if, you know, when I get up in the morning and the, and the heat's not working... I start scrambling, and it's cold outside. I start scrambling around to fix the problem. I've done that before, I've woken up before and our heat had gone out and it was 20 degrees outside and it felt like it was 10 below zero in the house. Buddy, I didn't just say, well, it's okay, I'll be all right. (laughs) No, I was calling the man to come out here and fix it. Or I was building a fire back when we had a fire. I was turning on the gas now that we have gas logs. I was doing something to get better. You know, I think that's one of the things he's saying here. When, you're, when you know you're cold as a church, you realize there's a problem. You need to get better. But when you're just content and things are just lukewarm, you're just going to sit there and spin your wheels and just do the same old thing over and over. Now listen, I want to be on fire. I love being a, we, we've experienced that here, have we not? We've experienced the heights of the stirred up spirits that we've, we've enjoyed, this, the, the, the blessings of, of, of the fire of God almost, it seems like, coming down. And, it's, and it's, it's been a glorious thing. But sometimes I find myself lukewarm, and that's where this church found itself. It was just kind of going along to get along, everything's okay. And he said, you say you're rich, you think you got all you need. But you're unaware that you're wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. And he says, you need to make some changes in your church. You need to buy gold tried in the fire that you may be rich, white raiment that you may be clothed. He's talking here about spiritual riches and he's talking about a spiritual walk. And ultimately, he says in verse 19, "...as many as I love, I rebuke and chasten, be zealous therefore, and repent, talking to the church." Now, now let me stop you here before we get into verse 20. He's talking to children of God, the members of the church. He's talking to a church of God. He's not talking to someone out here in some kind of a, a, a wicked lifestyle, living somewhere out here away from church. He's talking to the church. And he says here, behold, I stand at the door and knock. What door is he knocking at? The door of the church. Because of their lukewarm approach, because of all the things that they were satisfied with, that God wasn't pleased with, it's almost as if Christ himself had been regimented out the door of the church. <laughs> and he was, all, he was standing on the outside, knocking on the door of the church. And he said this, which is, by the way, very encouraging. It ought to be... Very encouraging from the experience we've had here at this church. He says, if any man, that is if anyone in the church hears my voice and opens the door and invites me back in the church, I'll come in and sup with him and he with me. You know, that that happened here. That happened right here in this church. I mean, there was a time when there wasn't anybody in the church except Sister Lorraine. And Lorraine was the only one here. And it was at a point where things weren't going the way they needed to go, and she, she heard the voice of God speaking through the Scriptures, by the way, again. She heard some things that she needed to hear, and she made some changes. And you know what happened? The Lord came right back in. Now, don't get me wrong. I don't believe he ever left. But he was like he was here. It was still a church. But he said, you need to make some changes. He's standing at the door of the church. He's knocking on the door of the church. And if any man lets me in, if any man says, you know what? Your word is correct. I need to make some change. I need to do some things differently. Lord, I want you to come in, and I want to do it the way you want me to do it. Then I'll come in and sup with him and he with me. And just in case you missed it, in case you're still thinking, well, maybe he's not talking about the church. He says in verses 21 and 22, To him that overcometh will I grant to sit with me in my throne, as I also overcame and am set down with my Father in his throne. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. You see, these are written to the churches. That's the context here. That's the context. And that's important that we get it in the context. We see it taken out of context too often. But Peter said, No scripture is of any private interpretation. That is, you cannot take it out and interpret it privately alone as the the Scripture itself. And by the way, it also means we don't need to be putting our spin on it. We need to just let it say what it says and mean what it says in the context in which it sits. Context is everything. Sometimes we see that with Romans 8.28, do we not? Romans 8.28 is probably the most one of the most quoted scriptures outside of John 3.16, where it's, uh, uh, it says, well, don't worry about it. everything that's happening in the world. is going to ultimately be for your good. That is not what Romans 8.28 says. Right. Romans 8.28, I won't turn there, but you go back and read it in context. You know, I've always said this, Brother Buddy. You know, we know a little bit in, in our modern day about fonts and font size. That's, that just means how big the writing is, how big the, the letters are on the page. Anytime you see a verse, that, when you read it, it's almost like that's the only verse on the page. The font size is so big, people have, in their minds have elevated it and, 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 and built it up to something so much bigger, and that's all you know about Romans 8. If all you ever hear out of Romans 8 is Romans 8, Romans 8 28, something's wrong. You need to make sure you're thinking, wait a minute, I need to make sure you get the full context here. If you go back to Romans chapter 7, you'll read about the context that begins there. Paul is talking about all of the sin curse that he sees in his own life. Oh, wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? He talks about how he struggles to do right. The things he would do, those he, do that's not, he doesn't do that. What he doesn't want to do, that's the thing that he does. And he says, I've got all this problem, and eventually he does. He cries out, oh, wretched man that I am. And then he goes into chapter 8 and he gets to talking about the sin sin curse around him. He gets to talking about the sufferings of this present time. He gets to talking about the whole creation, groaning and travailing and pain together until now. And he's building us up to a crescendo. And it is not that, okay, you've just got to stoically sit back and endure it because you'll never figure out what's going on, but it's working for your good. That is not what Paul is talking about. Paul is building us up, talking about the sin curse in this world and the sin curse within us. And he says uh, in Romans eight twenty-eight, he reaches the crescendo and he says, By the way, all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to His purpose. And he doesn't stop there, praise God. He moves on to the things that are working for our good. We have to ask the question, what is all things? What things is he referring to? How many times at a funeral have we heard Romans 8, 28 quoted and then nobody ever mentions Romans 8 in verses 29 and 30? The best part is Romans 8 in verses 29 and 30. He says all things work together for good. What things? For whom He did foreknow. He also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of His Son that He might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom He did predestinate, then He also called. Whom He called, them He also justified. Whom He justified, them He also glorified. What shall we then say to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? <laughs> See, that's the crescendo that Paul was reaching he says all these problems in the world are afflicting me just like they're going to afflict you I'm struggling with sin I'm struggling with being lukewarm I'm struggling with doing the wrong thing I'm struggling with thinking the wrong way and then when I look around me I see all the problems of life I see the struggles out there I see unfairness I see murders I see assaults I see see earthquakes I see tragedies I see problems out there that's our lot in life but praise God it's not just that those things are working to our good those things are working against us those things are going to hurt us those things will pull us down the sin in your life is not working for your good the sin around you is not working for your good but praise God he says the Lord himself has overcome this and we have something greater waiting on us than we have ever experienced in this life and by the way it doesn't depend upon your pitiful little efforts You know, Paul said, I'm the chiefest of sinners. (laughs) You know, I don't I don't disagree with him because I know the scriptures inspired Brother Mackey, but I don't see how he could have known just what a sinner I am. If he'd known me, he might have said, Well, I'm the second chiefest of sinners. (laughs) But you see, Paul is telling us in the context there that there's some things we need to know about, child of God. Don't let anybody tell you that the great doctrines of grace are things that are too deep for you to understand beloved they are the milk of the word they are the very thing you and i need to understand about to know about to get through this life i don't know about you but i hadn't handled things just right this week i've responded in ways to problems of life that i'm ashamed of that if i were judged upon that there was no way i would get to heaven but because I can rest in the fact that the Lord Jesus Christ paid the sin debt for every single one of his children, including poor, pitiful little me, I can trust that even when I mess it up, He got it right. Even when the world is all against me, He's for me. <laughs> and that's what he's talking about there in context. No scriptures of any private interpretation. We need to understand that that context is so important. Well let's move on and try to finish this up in the. Little time that we have. So if the Bible is completely inspired and completely accurate, what does this mean for us? Well, it means that it is completely complete, (laughs) okay? (laughs) The Bible is completely inspired, it's completely accurate, and it's completely complete. That is, it's all we need today. Did you know that you're your Bible is more up-to-date than this morning's Tuscaloosa News. Did you know that your Bible is more relevant to you today than any course in college you could ever take? As I said earlier, Jay Vernon McGee made the statement one time, if the Lord spoke out of heaven today, he'd just repeat something he's already said. And what that means is is we don't have to... There are people running around today. I know they say, I've gotten a new revelation from God. I've heard an angel say this. You know, there's, a, there's an entire religion founded upon the idea that an angel appeared to a man in New York State and gave him another revelation, another testament of the Lord Jesus Christ. You know what Paul said about that? In Galatians, the first chapter, you can turn and read it sometime. He said, if I or an angel in heaven... Preach unto you any other gospel, any other message, let him be accursed. I don't doubt that angels or spirits appear to people. I believe in the spirit world. There is a demonic world. There's a spirit world out there. There are angels out there. I I think if we could see with spiritual eyes, we'd see angels attending our services. We're told they, they like to hear about these things but 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 even if i mean and, and that would be a, an awesome experience would it not for an angel or some kind of spirit to appear and the devil himself can be transformed into an angel of light by the way but you see that's why it's important that we understand that the word of god is complete it is the inspired literal word of god it's complete and it is accurate and it needs no additions so even if the experience that man had in New York was true, it, if the message given to him conflicted, conflicts with the Word of God, then he just needs to throw it away as a cursed thing. And it does, by the way, in that particular message that I'm referring to. It, it conflicts. So it's not accurate. It's not something we need to follow. Going back again to 2 Peter You know, if there was ever a man who we would say had the right to come up with his own testimony, to to add to the Word of God, wouldn't it be a man who had seen Jesus Christ transfigured on the Mount of Transfiguration and then seen Him crucified and buried and risen again? In 2 Peter chapter 1, we're going to back up to verse 16 here. And I want you to notice what... The Apostle Peter said, as we kind of try to bring this to a close. He said, for we have not followed cunningly devised fables when we made known unto you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but were eyewitnesses of his majesty. Now here's the point where I would probably in my pride would be saying, so buddy, I got some stuff to lay on you. and my opinion, ought to be more important to you than other people's opinions. You know, this is where I'd be lifted up with pride. But notice what he said. He said, For he received from God the Father honor and glory when there came such a voice to him from the excellent glory, saying, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And this voice which came from heaven we heard. I was with some people that heard this when we were with him in the Holy Mount. I was there when he was transfigured. But notice what he says in verse 19. We have also a more sure word of prophecy. Whereunto ye do well that ye take heed, as unto a light that shineth in a dark place until the day dawn and the day star arise in your hearts. And now he leads us into what we've been talking about already, knowing this first, that no prophecy of the Scripture is of any private interpretation, for the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. See what Peter said. He said, hey, I've had the, the greatest experience you could ever have. I saw Jesus Christ transformed. I saw Moses and Elijah in their glorified state standing beside him. I heard the very voice of God. But I don't rely on that. Because I've got a more sure word of prophecy. It's this word. It's the word that has been written down. It's been inspired and it's been preserved for us. You see? You remember... remember, (laughs) You remember when the devil came to Jesus and began to tempt him? You can read about it in the fourth chapter of Matthew. Turn over there sometime and read it. You remember what happened? He said, well, if you're really the son of God, turn these stones into bread. If there was ever any person who walked on the face of the earth, who had the right and the ability and the authority to make up something, to speak some new truth, that would have been the time and that would have been the person. And every time he said, turn the stones to bread, he said, jump down off the temple, they'll bear you up. He said, here's the whole world. Took him up to the, the, to the mountain, said, here's the whole world. You can have it all and, and avoid the cross. Every single time, Jesus Christ himself said, it is written. It is written. He, we, we read somewhere, I believe it's in the 119th Psalm, but don't hold me to that, where he hath elevated his word above all his name. In other words, God says, you can call on my name all you want to, but my word is what I want you to follow. You can say you follow me, but I, I put my word above you calling on my name. 2 Timothy, and we'll bring this to a close. Going back to chapter 3, 2 Timothy chapter 3, where we started. Verse 16. You see, what this means for us is that we have something we can rely on. And we ought to rely on it. And it's all we need. Now, I'm not saying a commentary is a bad thing. It's fine to have a commentary. It's fine to read a commentary. But you better have your Word of God with you. You better, you better be measuring it by the standard of the Word of God. There's a commentary I've been using lately that's got some good stuff in it. But he's got some stuff he's bad off on. <laughs> and, and every time I come to it, I go back to the Word of God to, to realize that this is not, that what he's saying is not true. Now, notice, though, that the Word of God is all we need. In chapter 3, 2 Timothy three sixteen, all Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable. It's good for you, child of God. It's good for you. Now notice what it's good for. For doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. Notice, notice what this is. There's nothing else we need. Doctrine teaches us what the right path is. Okay? Reproof teaches us when we're not on the right path. Correction teaches us how to get back on the right path. And instruction teaches us, instruction in righteousness teaches us how to stay on the right path. See, that's what the Word of God does. And notice in verse 17 it says that the man of God may be perfect. That doesn't mean sinlessly perfect. That literally means fitted. It's the Greek word artios, which means fitted or or fit for the battle, so to speak. He said that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. Notice what he says here. Thoroughly furnished means to finish out. Or figuratively, as with a teacher, it means to equip him fully. He says we're furnished unto all good works. How? By the Word of God. The Word of God is completely inspired. It's completely accurate. <laughs> and praise God, it's completely complete. Wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way? Psalm 119 and verse 9 says, By taking heed thereto according to thy word. Sometimes people say to us, Well, all y'all have got down there in that church is the word of God. Praise God, that's all we need. That's all we need. We don't need any additions. We don't need any subtractions. We'll see as we look at this again. Taken away from the Word of God is just as bad as adding to it. We believe that the scriptures of the Old and New Testament are the Word of God and only rule of faith and practice. They believed that 175 years ago, and praise God, we still believe that today. Thank you for joining us today on the Zion Primitive Baptist Church podcast.